welcome to the Adapt and Overcome podcast from Alt-RPO. In the evolving landscape of the COVID-19 pandemic, we decided to create a space for real people to come together and share their experiences and lessons learned as they lead their teams through new virtual work environments, crafting new strategies, and taking their organizations through incredible transformations. These conversations are taking place in the context of free webinars. You can find out more details about upcoming webinars, future panelists, register for an event, or even apply to be a panelist yourself by visiting altrpo.com webinar. Without further ado, here is today's panel. Welcome everybody to episode 12 of the Adapt and Overcome webinar series. Thank you so much for joining us. We have amazing guest panelists today and we're really excited to hear from them. So I won't talk to you for long. Uh, so in today's episode, episode 12, we're focusing on uh, organizational transformation and especially as that applies to the workforce in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our host Joseph will be having a panel style discussion with our wonderful guests. Without further ado, I'll introduce Joseph, our uh, host for today. He's the president of Grayline, the co-founder of US Tomorrow, and the executive in residence at the Macomb School of Business at the University of Texas. So Joseph, okay. take us away. Thank you, Emily. It's good to see you. It's been a whole week. How have you been in the last week? Doing well. Doing well. Good. We had some crazy weather this week. It looked like we were going to have a tornado, but we made it through unscathed, so I'm grateful. Well, I'm glad you're safe. We're thinking about those that didn't make it quite safely. I mean, not, not only do they have COVID, but now the terrible weather. It's been a rough week for some people. Uh, but I want to thank you and Sean, who those that don't know Sean and John, the, the rest of the team at Alt RPO, they've done a fabulous job of pivoting and retooling to build this platform, to exchange information in real time. And it's not just these webinars and the engagement from being in with a live audience, but they also create podcasts that you can follow up with later on and when you go to their alt rpo website the same place that you rsvp to get uh to this webinar today you can look at all the future uh, webinars coming up but as emily said we've been doing this now uh for almost a month now looking at different aspects of the workforce everyone no matter whether they're on the front lines or those that are sick that are trying to overcome the impact of covid or that second tier of folks, those that have been laid off or furloughs that know the immediate impact of COVID, or that third tier, those small businesses and those entrepreneurs and startups and companies that are just trying to hold it together, together long enough to get through to the other side, every part of the workforce is impacted. So this webinar today is to take another look at what we call the underlying assumptions of how we think about the workforce, not just of today, but into the future. So one of the things that uh, I, had, I got to do a couple of years ago is write a book called Catalyst that looks at leadership and strategy in a changing world. And the whole point of the book is folks, the underlying assumptions are changing so fast that if we don't look around the corner, we're gonna be knocked down uh, or knocked over or businesses go out of business. So now COVID has accelerated this. So our all-star panel today is gonna help us look at this problem from four different angles uh, at a minimum. By the way, they have a lot in their biography that you'll get to in a second that explains all the different aspects. So as they begin to kind of, I'll give everybody a minute to talk about their perspective of how they got to now and what they're working on. And then we'll go into some questions that get at the issue of what about the workforce 
And more importantly, what does it look like around the corner as we go forward with COVID? So from snowy Chicago, Duan, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and explain to folks how you got to now and what you're working on? Sure, sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Dewan Wilcher. I am uh, an employee of Travis Manion Foundation as well as a Navy officer reservist. Uh, I am in snowy Chicago. For some of you who don't know, it normally does not snow uh, in April in Chicago. However, we got more than an inch today. So I commissioned, I went to Indiana University and commissioned into the Navy uh, about 10 years ago. And I transitioned in 2017 to become uh, pretty much the it's the guy to bring Travis Manion Foundation to Chicago and the Midwest region. And what we focus on is essentially helping veterans um, find their new purpose through serving as mentors to the youth and communities um, that they currently live in. Um, and yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Well, thank you. And we're going to get into a whole lot more. And, and for folks that may not know, in the chat room, we have a link to their LinkedIn page, as well as on the invite page, you can learn more about folks. So from New York, let's take it from there, Joe. We want to get an explanation of how you got to now and what you're working on today. Thank you so much, Joseph. So my name is Joe Wimple. I am a human capital analyst um, focusing on um, management consulting and bringing innovation, innovative solutions to clients. So I actually started my career in the United States Army as a human resource supervisor. Um, after the military, I took up a number of different leadership roles, always really focused on the human workforce, talent, um, HR management, and um, HR compliance. And I realized in time that that was really what I was passionate about and what really motivated me. Um, I eventually started narrowing my focus and my studies on how artificial intelligence impacts the workforce. And that's really what I focused on throughout my master's degree. And I just really enjoy sinking my teeth into learning as much as I can based around that. So right now I work at a human, um, I'm sorry, I work at a management consulting firm focused on um, coming to businesses and bringing them the most innovative innovative solutions when it comes to the human workforce. So that's kind of how I got to here, and I'm just really excited to be here today. Well, fantastic, and we're gonna get into AI because COVID is merely accelerating the movement towards artificial intelligence. So next we have Erica Brennis, who has undoubtedly one of my favorite named companies in the world. <laughs> it's very clear what it does. Her company is Real Mom, Real Tired. Erica, tell us how you got to now and what you're working on. Oh my gosh. Well, do we, can I get the whole hour? <laughs> I wish. We'll do that some other time. So my background originally is in TV news. I was a news anchor and reporter and actually met Joseph when I was doing the morning traffic here in Austin. And I did some stories about his old company, Ride Scout, and ended up going to work for Ride Scout. And then after a merger and acquisition, they ultimately closed the Austin office when I was secretly six weeks pregnant, which was super fun. And then since then, I've been working as a freelance content creator, and that ultimately led to, as I was struggling, mom life and all that comes with it and a bunch of clients, I was like, you know what? I'm just a real mom and I'm real tired. And I was like, hey, that's actually a great name for a blog. So I do um, a lot of blogging. I do a lot of partnerships on my social media channels and all that that entails. And I do on-camera spokesperson work. So I basically use my background on camera and on TV and telling stories and create 
fun content that is family friendly. And right now I'm sharing ideas of what to do at home with toddlers, which is changes day to day, whether my daughter is into it. So, you know, take my word with a grain of salt because every kid is so different and every moment is different in this experience for sure. Well, and that's why I'm thrilled to have you here as with all the panelists, your perspective, I think is going to be so helpful to others because you had to learn how to reinvent yourself 18 months ago. Many people are having to figure that out now. And so I think you'll be helpful to them. And finally, Nancy out in Nevada, uh, I just want to make, did I get that right, Nancy? Right pronunciation? Okay. You did. Good. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and so, Nancy, you have a policy background that I think will be fascinating for this. So go ahead and give a quick explanation of how you got to now and what you're working on. Yeah, so I run uh, a the state's only nonpartisan think tank. We're statewide. Uh, we work on lots of different issues, education, workforce development, health, and they're all sort of colliding right now with COVID-19. And so and we've also been doing over the years more and more work uh, advising and building capacity with our nonprofit sector here. And so we're both trying to provide data to decision makers about what potential economic impacts we'll see um, or expect to see from COVID, but we're also working with nonprofits to try to help them build capacity and think about how to access some of the aid coming from the federal government. What's interesting is before this job, we were seven years old, I was working at Sandia National Labs, working on energy security and uh, health security. And so it's almost, my world is coming full circle because I was doing international affairs, thinking about pandemics, and now that's come to, my world of local state policy. So it's an interesting time to be working on policy. Well, so thanks glad. for having me. Yeah, and we're glad to have you in that position. So let's start with the first question. And Dwan, I'm gonna go back over to you for this one because uh, in your work with Travis Mannion, in your work with nonprofits, in your work as a mentor, you've already been for years at the front lines, taking people that are going from one job, one sector, one place in life, and then transition them to a whole new career, a whole new sector. What is the advice that you have for viewers that find themselves either out of work or perhaps nervous that they're going to be out of work about what you saw successful that they can implement in their own life? So if the people that we're gonna be talking to regarding that question are those who are at risk of losing their job, um, particularly veterans, I think one of the key things that they can do is, is reflect back on the skills and training that they got while they, while they were in service. Uh, we have, as a veteran population, an incredible degree of resilience. Uh, and in that, we also have a very resilient community that looks to support one another. So the number one thing that I would recommend for uh, specifically a veteran who is at risk is to come forward um, and acknowledge whatever this, the, the, the struggle that you, that you may have and communicate that within the community. Specifically yep. at Travis Mannion Foundation, uh, we do a lot of work to ensure that um, the needs that a veteran might have are met in terms of what feeds their soul outside of uh, the exact pocket, right? Yeah. But at the same time, there's a need for, uh, there's an opportunity for them to plug in for different workforce opportunities through their volunteerism. Yeah. And what about those non-veterans? What can regular civilians that find themselves now in a very stressful time learn from your experiences working with people that are making that career transition? Yeah. I think the big thing, the buzzword that, I, that I've read uh, is, is uh, displaying some dispositional flexibility. And ultimately, dispositional flexibility. What do you mean by that? 
Yeah, so the dispositional flexibility is essentially recognizing the challenge that's in front of them um, with pragmatism, right? You do want to be optimistic, but you can't be overly optimistic. We do have a challenge out here today that we are facing that we have to deal with. Uh, but at the same time, recognizing challenge with pragmatism and not giving up your agency to, to respond to it. Uh, reaching out to the networks of those who, who you know and connect with and, and being open, widening your aperture to different opportunities that might present themselves to you. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. So let's pivot that idea. So Erica, you again, like I said, went through this transition 18 months ago from working primarily outside to inside. Now, you know, 300 million Americans have joined you in that same uh, work from home space. What have you done or seen that might be helpful to others as they think about pivoting that forward? I know now we're in good company. And actually, Joseph, it has been since 20 spring 2017 kind of was when I started wow. working from home and doing oh, it's more than 18 months. It's nearly three years. It's been a while. And it's, yeah. you know, I think, uh, you know, what Dewan said was like just being vulnerable, being willing to ask for help and being open and having the um, confidence to seek help. Um, I think it's, it's hard, you know, I mean, it's, this is a different layer of hard. So when you're home working, you don't have childcare, your spouse works. I mean, it is a whole other ball game of challenge right now. So, you know, when Baker, when my daughter left the house for five hours a day, it was, it was definitely easier. Um, so that has been a whole new way to navigate. And that is honestly something we navigate my husband and I navigate on a daily basis. You know, we try to set a schedule. We try to figure out like, okay, I'm going to work from this time and you're going to do here. And, but you know, when you have a two and a half year old, you just kind of have to wing it. Um, yep. so, but I think really tapping into your network, your friends, your family, the people you're connecting with on social media and talking about how you need help. And I think what I'm seeing is that everyone is in this boat, you know, whether you're home with children or you're single and you're home with no one, that's its own struggle. So everyone is struggling. And so I think we're going to see this new, you know, as things evolve over the next month or two, like how do we all together bounce back from this? I think it's changes day to day, week to week. Um, at least personally, that's what I've experienced emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, it's, it's definitely a new layer of hard right now yeah. for sure. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that and it's worth highlighting. I did an interview yesterday with a woman named Susie Sosa and you can find it on my Medium page. Uh, in fact, Emily, if you want to link to it, that'd be wonderful in the chat section. Uh, in what she said, her company is focused on leadership and workforce and they put out a lot of resources, but the resources were less about at least what people were clicking on, less about how to manage remotely or manage teams remotely. And it was more about how do I stay sane in this crazy environment? So with that as a, seg as a segue, let's talk about data because she is a data-driven company. And Nancy, data is what you all are focusing on to make informed decisions. Are there early trends? Are there any early indications coming out about what this is doing to the workforce going forward? Or if there's not any early trends yet, uh, build a little bit upon what you were writing about before on LinkedIn about the outsized impact this has on immigrant and migrant communities, uh, not just in Nevada, but how it might apply nationwide. 
Yeah, thanks for the question. I mean, I think both here locally in Nevada and nationally, right? I mean, um, we're just a microcosm of the national data. We're just seeing huge, a uh, huge spike in unemployment insurance claims, um, which you know we didn't see even that have surpassed even the the impact of the 2008 Great Recession. Um, and I think what we're realizing through the COVID-19 is just how many folks especially um, immigrants, uh, gig workers, right, are not connected to the formal employment systems. And so, you know, our, what we're seeing is that those workers or that the, the impact will be bigger because everyone's being affected in a way that we didn't see in the Great Recession. So- And can I interrupt? Yeah. Just, just to define for the viewers what you mean by the formal employment system versus the informal employment system. So uh, sort of folks who are working for um, big or companies as opposed to working for themselves um, as uh, independent contractors or in um, sort of um, uh, yeah, like informal yeah, employment, freelance right? like day laborers or cash under the table. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Got um, it. And you know, so those workers don't have retirement systems. Um, you know, they don't, luckily the CARES does allow uh, independent contractors, right, to access the unemployment insurance benefits, but that hasn't historically been the case. And so I think what we're also seeing is just uh, an opportunity to re-examine our employment system. I know recently a lot of state, or a couple of states, right, have started thinking about state-sponsored retirement security programs, right, acknowledging that more of our workforce is moving into independent contractor um, relationships or working for really small companies, two or three people. Um, and so, you know, they've acknowledged that and have set up state-sponsored retirement security programs. I can imagine that, you know, two or three years from now, that might be an agenda item on many more states' agenda th to think about how do we protect all of our workers, even those that aren't sort of in traditional employment relationships. Yeah, and that future of the workforce is something we're going to circle back to, hopefully, if we have time, about the connection between healthcare and being employed, which right now we're seeing how that is stretching the system to the limits under the old way. But, but Joe, we're gonna to turn to you because what I don't think people quite understand is that as we move to even more a knowledge economy, and we're talking about artificial intelligence or robotics or automation, that as we've now put a lot of people out of work, AI and a lot of those systems will fill the gap of a lot of these jobs that are no longer being, um, you know, uh, used by a person. What is that going to do long term? Do you see trends already that's going to accelerate it? Or is it still a few years down the road? Take the idea of artificial intelligence wherever you want. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the question. I feel as if COVID is going to definitely accelerate this move towards um, artificial intelligence taking over certain positions that were historically filled by the human workforce. So one thing that I could definitely say to that is it's extremely important now for those folks within those positions that either read the writing on the wall or understand that their jobs are threatened to being eliminated by artificial intelligence to use this time um, 
where we're going to be working from home significantly or spending a lot of time indoors to try to upskill themselves in the best way possible, to try to learn some sort of new skill that's going to really impact someone's career trajectory, whether it's coding, learning a new language or learning user design or something of the sort, trying to take this this reality that's going to hit regardless of what we do and turning it into fuel for the fire for somebody to really get motivated to learn something that's going to put them above and beyond when things do really, really hit. Yeah, I mean, I saw a friend of mine just texted me today, Harvard has put online even more courses that are free now, uh, Harvard certified and accredited classes that you can go online and take. And so I, I couldn't agree with you more about that idea. I would also point out that there's a lot of traditionally white collar jobs or people uh, who think that, oh, well, I've got a master's degree or I've got a, a college education. I'm free and I'm fine. I won't be touched by this artificial intelligence movement. And I would say that many of those are most at risk, but, but we'll, we'll circle back to that in a second. But speaking of at risk, so Dewan, when you and I were corresponding back and forth before uh, the webinar started, you talked or alluded to the fact that there's a whole bunch of people, parts of the population that were already left out of the system. And now this is just further uh, worsening their plight and their situation. Do you want to build on that and what you're seeing in groups that are perhaps making a, a difference there in nonprofits? Sure. So I will um, transparently say that the people who are most ready to respond to that type of question is definitely Nancy. Um, but individuals of color and uh, immigrant uh, statuses definitely affect those who aren't really taken into account in, 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 in policy writing today. Um, and what Joe mentioned a little bit ago related to AI and having to make the transition to go uh, to, to retool yourself and get ready for the next opportunity, even that can present its own set of issues and that those issues primarily exist in access, right? So you mentioned that Harvard put put their, their curriculum online, that, that's for free, that's awesome. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that a lot of people don't have laptops and computers at home to access these, these tools. That's a great point. Um, Thank you for bringing that up. So, um, there are companies who are out there who are trying to get ahead of it, and I applaud them for doing so. Uh, here in Chicago, Comcast has had an Internet Essentials uh, program campaign where essentially if you are a low-income family or if you have an immigrant status that could prevent you from certain access, they're going to give you internet uh, for free. The the I think for ten dollars a month, which is the speed that you would need for the Harvard classes. And in some cases, they'll even give you a laptop to work from. Uh, but there are a lot of initiatives going on uh, that are outside the fringes of government and corporate entities that really fill the gap for people who aren't being addressed. And I and to me, when we when we move to the recovery phase of this issue, that's where we will. That's where we will make our bread and butter. That's where we will be known for those people who got off the bench, got in the game and, and made things happen. So, yeah. Uh, before we go to the next question, I want to remind the audience, this is live right now. If you're seeing it, you are watching it live. So please hop on the Q and a below and ask any questions either for the group or to any one individual. And we'll pick that up here in a few minutes when we get through my first round of questions. So Erica, we're going back to you again, because so many people are not, digitally native. So many people, uh, let's, you know, I'm not going to pick an age group because I'm nearly 50 and I consider myself to be quite savvy online, but there's a lot of people that aren't. 
what are the future of workforce implications for people that aren't comfortable online? And what are the things that you would encourage them to do or to check out or maybe resources that you have to make them feel a little bit more company comfortable? And maybe it's even just the simple equipment that they're using. Yeah. I mean, I think that's when, you know, hopefully you do have access to potentially friends and family that can give you some guidance in that. I think that's been sort of one of my frustrations through this experience is kind of what Dewan was talking about. Like you forget, like not everyone has access to all of these fancy pieces of technology that just magically deliver your groceries or like deliver you like let's talk about you know how lucky some of us are that we even have that kind of access so you know that's been a whole thing that I've sort of just watched from afar Um, but I think it plays a huge role I mean I think gosh okay so if someone hasn't isn't technically savvy I think that that was obviously an issue two months ago as well so like yeah I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't, I, there, there have, I know there's some nonprofit people here in the conversation that probably could answer that better. I feel like actually getting connected with some nonprofits that can help as far as employment and that kind of thing. And, um, and support, whether it's financial or, or whatnot would be the route I would go. Um, I think that's where, you know, we have to be really thankful for organizations like that, that, that can help, you know, with yeah. finding well, employment. Hopefully something that comes out of this might be to connect with one of those groups. Cause I could think of no better trainer spokesperson or, or enabler than you to help them with some of those classes. So that'd be fun to see that content. Yeah. I mean, reach out to the people that are, that, you know, are technically savvy. I think right now people are so willing to help And if someone doesn't have access to a computer or whatever it may be, I mean, even uh, Joseph, one of our former colleagues, Alexis, who is now working from home, she asked on Twitter yesterday, who has a printer at home? And I was thinking that as I was scanning and emailing a contract yesterday so that I could get paid. And I thought, I am so thankful that we have this set up and that we have paper and ink and access to great Wi-Fi. And I know how to use this scanner. Um, you know, everyone jokes like, oh, fax me. Like no one uses a fax anymore. But it's like, you do still have to turn to some of these more old school methods, like with yeah. scanning a document. Um, well, that's and so, a, yeah. you know, and, and she, she doesn't have a, a printer at home. So I'm like, well, you probably got to get one now because this age that we're, I mean, I print stuff out for my daughter. I print stuff out for contracts. I print, you know, I'm using that. Well, it's a lot. great point. And Duan mentioned it too. When we talk about access to uh, being able to be up with these online classes, if you don't have broadband, if you don't even have internet or even a computer, how can you do it? But sticking on the idea of access, I want to return back to you, Nancy, on this idea of healthcare and the future workforce. What opportunities do you see now in the conversation, and you're a nonpartisan think tank, to reintroduce the conversation that says, hey, uh, elected official people, um, COVID didn't really care what your political party was, and it took out you know, huge segments of the population, not just in terms of being gravely ill, but even just knocked them down for a while, for a couple of weeks. So can we revisit healthcare tied to unemployment and what that might look like in the future? Do you have thoughts on that? Where would you want to start that conversation? 
Yeah, well, I have a, a lot of a number of friends who are doctors, and I'm following them on Twitter and Facebook. And I we've been talking that after we sort of get to a new normal, right? I think we'll be having a national conversation around what healthcare is, right? I mean, hospitals are declaring some hospitals, right, are declaring bankruptcy. You're on the verge of declaring bankruptcy because they're losing money because so much of their revenue is tied to elective surgeries, which are not happening. Um, so I think there will be a national conversation. And there will also be a conversation around, again, flexibility in the workforce. Um, someone was sharing that, you know, um, uh, physician's assistants in, I think, Illinois, some of their friends are unemployed. I mean, it makes no sense that with COVID, right, we've got healthcare professionals who are unemployed, but the license requirements are so strict that if you don't, if the physicians aren't working, PAs can't be working. And so I think I know we've had conversations recently um, here in Nevada, at least, about healthcare compacts, right? So if you were licensed in Arizona and you moved to Nevada, you know, Nevada would recognize that as opposed to requiring you to go get, uh, you know, go back to school again. I think we'll, we'll have a conversation about more flexibility within the healthcare workforce and different credentials. And, you know, could a PA be classified as a nurse or work as a nurse under certain circumstances. And so I think there's a, a lot of conversation to be had around licensing and introducing more flexibility in the healthcare workforce so that you can deploy people, you know, depending on situations in a much um, more effective way when there's a need like we're seeing today. Well said. And, and I really think that that idea of deployability is something that we're gonna go back to when we look at certifications between states. Uh, Emily, before I keep charging through my own questions, do we have a question from the audience that we wanna get into or do you want me to keep going? Yeah, great question came in from Michael uh, Burke. I, and this might take the conversation a little bit different of a direction, but I think it could be a good jumping off point. So you go ahead as you want. But uh, he said, coming out of this crisis, do you guys, panelists, see any particular new services or products being created that might provide opportunities for people in an entrepreneurial way or, you know, to join as a worker. So, you know, where, where are the new things that you guys see coming out, the new opportunities coming up? Yeah, no, Michael Burke, that's a fabulous question. If it's the same Michael Burke that's in San Antonio as a thought leader down there, it's no surprise that he's asking about the opportunities. And so who wants to feel that first by a show of hands? Uh, because I think it's a real, so Duan, go ahead. Where, where do you see the opportunities coming out of this? So I think, so I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a Navy officer as well. And all of the work that we've been doing for the past 10 years, it's been mandated, come in person. You have to come in person to do this thing. And now this thing is hit. And out of nowhere, innovation comes up and we're like, we can do everything virtually now. So I think the opportunity is gonna present itself uh, for entrepreneurs and others um, to either create new uh, AI or virtual connectivity tools um, or at the very least is going to push the note the 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 push the notion that even entrepreneurs we don't have to fly out to the bay to have a meeting because it's become normalized that we can hop on yeah. zoom and, and save each other time and money we did predictions in a previous webinar panel and one of the predictions was that the cross-country flight for the one hour meeting is gone. But building on uh, Michael's point though, or his question really, which is what are other opportunities? Joe, from, a, from an opportunity, from a human capital expert standpoint, what are you seeing as areas of either growth or opportunity going forward? Yeah, thank you. I actually see two things. Um, 
really focusing on those who are fortunate enough to work from home during these challenges time challenging times i think that um organizations that are employing those can really take a step back and assess the current climate and then use it to move forward after this COVID-19 health crisis dies down and the dust settles a bit. For example, working in a virtual environment empowers employees to find a sense of autonomy and realize how exactly they can work and work in their own time uh, using their own patterns of productivity without actually being in the physical work environment. So since the rug has been completely, you know, ripped from underneath us, it's really empowering employees to find out how they work and how they thrive within the workspace since they're self-regulating themselves. Now also is another major another major component is the elimination of the commute. This is a shape shifter because the well, average let's say commute- you said that awfully quick. You're talking about the elimination oh. of the the daily commute to and from work. Is that what you were saying? Yep, exactly. So the elimination of the daily commute is huge. In some of America's most economic um, preposterous cities, such as New York City, San Francisco, DC, commutes are roughly around an hour a day. So given this notion of the commute being completely eliminated, this is going to bring significant more um, job place satisfaction. It also gives individuals that time to focus on upskilling themselves in certain areas, which is what I um, touched on beforehand. So employers are really able to use this time to see do we really need employees coming into the office four to five days a week? What can we actually change that can be done virtually? So I feel as if just given those two components, such as employees really working autonomously due to our current situation and also the elimination of the commute, that's really going to change the way in which employers delegate work and regulate the workforce. Yeah. I'll use, before we get to Nancy and Erica, I'll use moderator privilege for a second to say one of the biggest opportunities that I see, Michael, in this opportunity going forward is a reemergence of the side hustle. And what I mean by that is it's similar to the points that were just made by Dewan and Joe, which is you're going to now see a chance for people to innovate and say, well, now that we just did that completely differently for about 60 days, 90 days, no one really knows yet. Well, wait a minute. I saw an opportunity to do this or delivery. Like one of the side hustles that I can't wait for is when neighborhoods figure out a way to have a point uh, last thousand feet, we'll call it, last thousand feet of delivery. So if you're Amazon or FedEx or even the post office, you'd be taking all of your packages to one place in the middle of a big neighborhood, and then there's a last carrier that just runs, because I don't know about you all in your houses, but there's so much home delivery in our neighborhood that the FedEx Trump bumps in, the truck bumps into the Amazon truck that then bumps into the other one, and that is ripe for innovation and disruption. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, Nancy or, or Erica, anything that you wanted to add to the idea to Michael's question of innovation and opportunities? Nancy, go ahead. I was just going to add, really echo what Joe said. Um, just talking to folks here locally, there's some really big employers here in Nevada, both private sector and public sector, who've been really hesitant to move to um, different work schedules, right? Either working from home or four days on, one day off. Um, and I think, and their employees have shared that they've been hesitant to do that because they essentially don't trust the workers and think if you're not at your desk in our building, you're just going to be you know, watching sports games at home all day. And so it'll be interesting to see again, those conversations or the kinds of conversations that come out of um, COVID um, to see whether those employers who are 
have been traditionally resistant to thinking about more flexible worker-friendly policies will be willing to engage in a different set of conversations that do allow more flexibility for workers, um, whether it be having them work at home or um, sharing schedules or um, just having a different hourly daily schedule. So yeah. I'm looking forward to those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Erica, anything to add to that before we go on to the next question? I mean, I think it's, this is your opportunity to become a TikTok star, if that's your thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, 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 as a former member of the media and as a former journalist, um, I think it's been really interesting to see how the news media is. Um, is that Baker? That's Baker. I knew, I knew it was going to happen. If we got through this hour without... <laughs> Got a holler from Baker. It was going to be a miracle. Um, but, you know, just how everything has changed from so many very traditional industries into what we're doing now, like having these great conversations and getting real work done virtually. Yep. Um, I don't know if I'm going to have to stop talking, but I also think companies reevaluating, like, what is our digital strategy? You know, like, how are we working with people who are already playing in this space? Um, whether it's influencers, that kind of thing. Um, are we, what is our digital, you know, strategy right now? And are we right. maximizing the potential there? Like tapping into people who are already doing this very well. I think that's going to be really cool too. Yes. Well, uh, not only is that going to be fascinating to see how it plays out, but let me circle back to a, a similar question uh, that wasn't really asked, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. And I'll start with our friends from Chicago and New York, the two of the three largest cities in the United States. Are you all hearing any discussion, not about changing work patterns, but about people considering leaving jobs that are in the city to either reverse commute in another direction, work solely from home, or physically leave large cities that are obviously so impacted by this. Joe or Duan, you want to raise your hand and take that from whichever direction? Go ahead, Duan. Oh, I can just go really quickly and uh, just say that um, the majority of the folks, well, a significant amount of the folks at my uh, consulting firm have kind of left New York City just because it's such a hot spot over here and they're working remotely from either relatives' houses or parents' houses or whatever the case may be, just as far away from the city as possible. And just um, keeping up with LinkedIn and talking to professional contacts, I've noticed the sim a similar pattern of those kind of just going out to the suburbs and waiting for this to really pass. Yeah. Duan, what would you so add? For Chicago, our proximity to Indiana, it's a, it's a 20 minute drive. And so for comparison's sake, minimum wage in Indiana is $7.25. In Chicago, Illinois, Chicago specifically is $15. So the reverse commute is not really going to happen that much because there's not as much opportunity in Indiana as there is in Chicago. However, there are droves of people leaving Chicago year over year over year. We've been in a four-year population decline, and most say that that is related to um, commute and obviously weather. Weather is a piece of it. Wait, are you saying weather in the week that it snowed in April? <laughs> exactly, right? Like, so we understand that. Um, so it's, it's a commute thing. It's a weather thing. It's also a taxation thing. So Illinois um, has, has been working its way up to good governance for a while now. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, conversely, from a standpoint of Nevada, which is a rather 
sparsely populated state. Do you all anticipate any gains in population from this? Or do you think that that hasn't impacted the workforce yet because it's so soon, Nancy? I, I don't know. I mean, you probably, most of you probably know that Nevada has actually been either number one or number two in population growth over the last couple of years. And so if folks stopped coming here, I think that would be great. We've had a lot of people coming here and I don't think our infrastructure is set up to even absorb and protect and provide for those new transplants. Um, but, you know, so much of our economy is tied to uh, gaming and tourism. So um, almost 50% of our general fund revenue is tied to either sales tax or gaming tax. So we're going to be hard hit. Um, it's, it's eerie to drive down the strip and not see, I mean, it's just dark. And that didn't happen after 9-11. It didn't happen after the Great Recession or even after the October 1 shooting. Um, so I think we're going to be feeling the impacts of COVID-19 much longer and much deeper than many of you in in sunny or sorry snowy Chicago and other places will be. Um, so we may actually see people move from Vegas and um, and two thirds of the population is actually in Vegas, so it's pretty dense down here. Uh, may move to California or Idaho in, in um, exploring opportunities if they can't find work here. So yeah. we could see some population loss over the next twelve to eighteen months. Interesting. So we'll just end this last point on movement of people, Erica, as an expert, someone who grew up in Austin from being a small college town to being the 11th largest city in the country. Uh, any thoughts there on workforce and what that does and the ebb and flow of jobs? Gosh, you know, and it's, it's like, even though we are such a big city now, which is weird, <laughs> um, the jobs still from a those big jobs are like, it doesn't compare to New York and, you know, San Francisco and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think it is, you know, I think, um, Joe, you had mentioned earlier, like, this is an opportunity for some people who are going to say, man, I really can work really well from home. But I do at my core feel like we will still go into the office. Like, it's all going to come back just personally as a social, I work very well in a team but I'm in this position where I work, you know, by myself 95% of the time, I much prefer to be around people. So I think for those of us who are for the first time working from home, you know, by ourselves, we're itching to get back into the office. You know, um, you do have some people though, who do work really efficiently at home, um, all day, you know, whether they learn over time, you know what, I actually do want to get back to be around people. I think that we'll, we'll go back to being in the office and I think it's gonna, you know, man, it's been nice to not have to sit in traffic every day, right. Or make your commute. But I don't know. I think it's kind of like talking in, in regard to like AI, there's only so much a computer can do. Like we still need that human interaction. And I think if anything, this might teach us we crave it even deeply, more deeply than we ever expected. Yeah, um, one, of, yeah one of my, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. One of my yeah. favorite memes I saw in this early on was uh, basically saying that the introverts, you know, while you're celebrating, it's time to go save your extroverts because they are in dire need <laughs> oh. of socializing. So yeah. we're, we're nearing the end. So what I want to do is um, remind folks to send a question in if you'd like to have it answered live from the panelists. But for the panelists, as we circle around 
I, I want to bring out a, a, a moment for you to highlight something we haven't talked about or something that you want to promote. Uh, Emily, if she can find the link, maybe can put it in the chat. But I want to make sure that we're getting your perspective because I know I tend to uh, go around in circles here asking questions, but I don't want to leave anything out. So, uh, Duan, we'll start with you because we have been for most of these. What is something that we haven't addressed in this workforce conversation that you think is important that we need to mention? I think that it's important to mention uh, the relevance of volunteerism. Uh, we, I touched on it briefly earlier, but the reality is these circumstances are highlighting every single day the importance of the work that volunteers do. Specifically at Travis Manion Foundation, I definitely recommend that those, uh, those listeners go to travismanion.org and just join the mission. Yes, we had to shift our, our program modeling so that we could abide by all laws uh, and orders in place. But at the same time, innovations struck up. People are reaching out saying, how do I serve in place? What do I do? Who do I serve? When I talked about access and those who don't have what we have, it's very important that people understand that, hey, even in the time where you might feel that it's dire, it's very important to think about how you can serve others still. Um, it's a collective energy that gets built out, uh, gets built up, and it allows us to turn these moments into momentum. And I think that that's really is going to be the change for us uh, is, is looking towards volunteerism opportunities around the country. Well said. And what I would add to that is that volunteerism can be the, you know, one of the three T's. It can be your time, it could be your treasure, or it could be your talent. And volunteering can come in any one of those three forms. So Nancy, we'll take it to you. What have we not talked about that you want to make sure that the viewers both live and also going forward when they watch this recorded know about that is important to you? I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I, I guess I would just... Well, hey, this is reality, so, so remind, go any direction you, know, you need. Remind the viewers that I think we're, we're a lot of us are looking to the CARES Act, right, for relief, but the CARES Act is not, um, you know, still leaves a significant number of folks out, right? So Nevada has about 25% of our, 25% of our population is Latino, and we have the highest share of undocumented immigrants as a share of the population. So all those folks are left out of CARES, um, either the small business assistance or um, the money that's coming through nonprofits. And we're also hearing from folks that small businesses, especially minority-owned small businesses, may not be able to take advantage of the SBA assistance because a lot of them are really small and don't have sort of the capacity or haven't been sophisticated um, to meet the requirements, right? Record keeping, pretty rigorous record keeping for the last couple of years that you have to have in order to apply for an SBA loan. And so there are folks who are working with minority owned businesses say, are saying that a lot of those are left out because um, they just haven't had the capacity. And very similarly, we, you know, a lot of the nonprofits here locally, you know, keep talking about the CARES Act funding. We have very, here in Nevada, a, a great number of the nonprofits doing good work don't have the resources to apply for grants um, because all, most, a lot of that money is going to be through, um, it's not just given to the states, but you actually have to apply. And so, again, to your point, Joseph, about using time, treasure, and talent, you know, reach out to your nonprofits, offer to write grants, see where you can plug in to help them so that your state and your community can access some of this funding. Well said. And one thing I would also add about the CARES Act and how it's being implemented that I didn't know until I was listening to Marketplace yesterday with uh, Kai and Molly, uh, which is a fabulous 
daily platform now that they use. I encourage it for everyone. But many banks are reading and interpreting the law as for putting preference on companies that already have existing SBA loans, meaning that they are tried and true and they know that they'll repay them if needed. But that means that small businesses that never needed, didn't have to, or were fiscally able to not need a loan are at the back of the line. And I think that those kind of omissions inside the CARE Act are things that are unintended consequences. So thank you for bringing up the fact that the CARES Act is not a be all end all. So Joe, what what, what do you wanna highlight and leave with the viewers uh, that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, absolutely. So I was gonna say really, no matter what either a consultant or a business analyst or a organization needs to do strategically during these challenging times is, always to implement strategy along with empathy and compassion and to understand that this is going to be extremely difficult. There's going to be sacrifices that certain organizations need to make and that's just the reality of the situation and really keeping the interests of people in mind when moving forward and understanding that without human talent, the workforce would be absolutely meaningless and obsolete. And whether this comes to you know organizations making tough decisions in regard to the number of employees they have are implementing a artificial intelligence that's going to potentially put somebody out of work, always keeping empathy in the front of every single thing that you do during these times, because we need each other now more than ever. Yeah. And I think a great historical example of that to prove your point, Joe, was in the Congress in the 1990s when we facilitated the offshoring for cheaper goods and a lot of jobs and a lot of factories moved overseas we then paid a price because we didn't have the job training and job transition ready for those workers. And there was a backlash, backlash in the economy, backlash in politics, backlash everywhere. So your point is very well taken. Uh, Erica, what have we not talked about that you want to make sure we drive home before we end? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of echoing like what Joe said is just like, this is a really hard time for business owners employees, everyone, mentally. I think just mentally, this is a really hard um, experience to, to go through. And I think, you know, having that grace right now um, and just that understanding, you know, if you have a mom, you hear my daughter. Understanding the of the bakers of the world is they Yeah, I mean, if your employee is a parent and suddenly they're home without their childcare and their spouse is home and like, you know, you think of what people are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis regardless, it is heightened right now. Yep. Um, you know, I think just giving some grace. And if you don't have the mental capacity to start that side hustle, like that is okay. Like that is true. You know, I mean, I think, I think it is an, a very interesting time. If you are home, you're single, like it's just you and you get to dictate what you do and when, that is an awesome opportunity. Don't waste it, but also give yourself the understanding that like you, you're, we're all dealing with some, you know, mental health hardships right now. Um, so just, you know, give yourself some compassion and hopefully business, businesses are able to weather the storm and not have to, you know, lay off a bunch of employees, but that is obviously a reality. And, you know, yeah, I think we all more than ever need, we need a hug. We yep. need some empathy. We need some understanding and some support 
I think no matter what situation you're in. Yeah, I heard two things recently that drive home your point. Uh, one is this notion that I'm hearing about companies that are all distributed remotely, but the boss is coming in and she or he is saying, stop work today. I know it's a Monday. No one's working. No emails. I know weekends are supposed to be when that happens, but I know you all worked over the weekend because everyone's so plugged in. No work today. And that kind of leadership, I think, is special. And on a lighter note, to your point of giving yourself a break, my wife Amy showed me a meme that uh, was flying around and it said that Gwyneth Paltrow said, this is a great time to pick up a new language or write a book. And then the woman responded by saying, I've got crumbs in my bra. I don't even know where they came from. And I couldn't even tell you what day of the week it is. I'm not learning Chinese. So I think that's a good example of giving yourself a break. Yeah. Uh, so as we wrap up, before we turn it back over to Emily, I'll kind of end with my point of what wasn't necessarily mentioned, or more importantly, what I want to leave with the viewer, which is, this is a moment in time that I really want to help. And these are all the different examples of where people can help. But, you know, on the professional side, my company, Grayline, I mentioned my book, Catalyst, at the beginning. It was all about looking at the assumptions about demographics, movement into cities, globalization, all the things that were churning and disrupting companies in the past are now being accelerated by COVID. So if you have a chance, I really recommend you check out the book because the principles are unchanged in terms of how you look around the corner. And then lastly, uh, you know, US Tomorrow is the nonprofit that I started a year ago focused on workforce issues because we, as we've discussed here, uh, have all kinds of folks that are not prepared for the economy of the, of the future. And then now COVID has accelerated even more. Uh, and so again, I can't thank you all enough as panel members for being here today. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Each of you made me smarter um, and, you know, better positioned for the future going forward. Emily, what do we leave out or what uh, last minute admin do you want to bring in before we close out the webinar? Excellent. Well, thanks so much, everyone. All of the panelists were really wonderful. I always enjoy these conversations. Joseph does a great job of, of bringing uh, great tidbits out from each of you. So just want to let everybody know we are going to have a video replay and an audio replay of this webinar up on our website. We usually have it up within about a day. We'll also have takeaway notes and links to the resources that were shared and that kind of stuff up there. And we're also pushing it on on a podcast. Um, I just shared a couple of links uh, in the chat. So if you want to watch any of our past webinars, any of the ones we have coming up, I know we have one on Thursday and we've been doing them uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And as long as it continues to really add value to people, um, we'll continue to do that. We're always looking to innovate and grow going forward. So keep an eye on you know, our website and LinkedIn to see what we're doing next and, and how we're continuing to do that. But we want to model this adapt and overcome idea as we're all in the middle of this. And one last thing I'd love to mention, um, we recently started doing a really fun Friday workshop. It's 30 minutes. It's called Think Inside the Box, helping you identify uh, what things you can control right now in your life. So it's kind of a mental health, mental resilience building exercise. But That's it's what we a, all need. That's for sure, Emily. Totally. And it's done in a really fun, really interactive social context. And um, I promise I've been telling people it's like a break from the regularly scheduled Zoom programming because as much as I love all of this and get so much value from it, sometimes it's nice to have a break. Yep. Thanks for everybody for tuning in and thanks again to our panel members. Have a great day.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adapt and Overcome podcast from Alt-RPO. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and a comment with your favorite takeaway from the conversation. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. If you're looking for more resources, you can visit our website, altrpo.com. That's A-L-T-R-P-O.com. We have information on virtual team facilitation, virtual team building workshops, as well as our webinar page at altrpo.com slash webinar, where you can register to be a participant or even apply to be a panelist on one of our future webinars. Don't forget, you can share any of our information with any of your friends or colleagues that you feel would really benefit. We are really hoping to add value to our community during this time of global crisis. We hope you're staying safe and healthy, and we look forward to seeing you soon.